for being here. Okay, I got to say, last week, if you were here, we were in the gym, and we're very flexible, so there's going to be times that we are going to be in the gym, but oh my God, how great is this room? In this, I just love this room with the natural light. I'm so grateful that we're here. Um, we're, yeah, thank you. Yes, we love this. Okay. All right, y'all, let me jump in. What I want to do first is pray for us, and then we will get right in because I'm going to make sure that you're out on time today. Um, Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our midst. We don't take it lightly. It's obvious that you're present, that you're with us, and so we just ask, Lord, that you would bless the next 40 minutes. Would you just use my lips and my tongue to speak your words of life? I pray that each of us would just have a sense that you see us, that you're speaking, that you're with us. And I pray, God, that in turn we would say yes, whatever the yes needs to be. But ultimately, it's just a step of faith in trusting you at a deeper level. So I'm asking by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would raise us up to be women of courage that will say yes to you and trust you and believe that you're worthy of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want to jump... And very quickly, you've got scripture on your, your table, and I'd love for you to walk along with me. If you think about it, feel free to bring your Bibles with you and open up and go along in your, in your own Bible, because that's always fun to see the scripture in your own Bible, I think. But what we're doing is we're in a seven-week series, and the title is Yes, and that really, that's the name of the new ministry, Yes, and you'll see my shirt. I'm going to wear this every week, and I'm going to style it differently. It's such a fun challenge. Um, <laughs> Just to take a simple gray t-shirt and take it from good to great. Um, But anyway, we're in this seven-week series titled Yes. And last week, I walked us through 2 Corinthians uh, verses 12 through 24, which is where the name came from. All God's promises find their yes in Christ. And in turn, we say yes to the glory of God. And the purpose and the, the purpose behind that letter that Paul wrote was to the church in Corinth because they were not trusting him and ultimately were having a hard time trusting the Lord Jesus. And so they, Paul went to Macedonia and he said, I'll come back and visit you. And instead of physically returning, he just sent a letter and they began to say, you're not trustworthy. And he was explaining himself. But what he was realizing is they were having a difficult time believing that God is true and that his word is true. And he said, we're not, we're not double-minded people like the world that say yes, but really mean no. Our yes means yes and our no means no. And ultimately the Lord Jesus, his yes to you means yes. And his no's mean no. And so what I want to do for the next seven weeks is we're just going to walk through what are God's yeses? What what has he said yes to toward us and in our lives? And how can we in turn take hold of that and say yes back? But where I thought we really needed to start was in the very beginning. So we're going to walk through Genesis 2 and 3 today and look at where it all kind of went to hell, literally and metaphorically. Okay, so we're going to see where all this went. And so what I want to do is jump into Genesis chapter 2, but I want you to walk with me through this. And as we do in this first section of scripture, I want you to be looking with this question in your mind, what did God do? What did God do? And also, what did God say? And so we are literally kind of just observing and watching through the word of God about the character of God. And so we're seeing what did God do? What did God say? All right. So we're in chapter two. He's still talking about creation. Okay. And it says, when the Lord God made 
the earth and the heavens. Neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the, sto- the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all of the land. And then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living person. Now this is a side note, but I think somebody needs to hear this today. What I love about verse 5, it says, Neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. Why? Because the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. So what this tells me is that God had a plan that was already in place. The plan in place was that there would be rain that would cultivate the soil and that, the, that things would be growing out of the soil that would bless us and that he was going to send man. It was already in his mind. He already had the plan that he was going to create man. It just hadn't happened yet. But what I love is that scripture says in verse 6, instead, or another way we could look at it is in the meantime, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. So here's what jumped out to me as I was reading this, and I think that this is for all of us, is this is what I love about the Lord, is scripture says he knows the plans that he has for you, and he knows the plans that he has for me. And oftentimes those desires he's already planted inside of us, and we keep kind of longing for something, right? I'm longing for a change, maybe a change in your marriage. Maybe you're longing for a career change. Maybe you're longing for a sense of purpose. You know you're called to something and you're just not walking in it yet. I don't know what it is, but what I want you to know that's true about the Lord, and this is in other places in Scripture, is there's always an in the meantime, and in the meantime, He's always providing. He's always providing. So just because his ultimate plan was that rain would be what, what, what was the source of water to cultivate the soil and that man would take care of it, it hadn't yet happened and nobody suffered. Springs came up from the ground. He just did it another way until the plan came to fruition. Do you hear me? Do you see what I'm saying today? And so there's some of us in the room today that just need that. That God is just trying to say that to you is that there isn't in the meantime. He's not absent. He's not left you. He's not unaware. He's at work. And he's always providing. Philippians 4.19, Paul says, This same God that meets all of my needs will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And so let that encourage you today. Let that encourage you that he sees you, he loves you, and he's always at work in your life. So maybe you're in a season where you feel like in the meantime, and maybe today you just need to ask God, would you just awaken me? Would you just open my eyes to see where you're at work in the meantime? Because I've been so focused on the thing I want to happen that I've lost sight that you're still at work. Maybe you just need to ask him that. So then it says he formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living purpose. Verse 8, it says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then it says in verse 15, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. 
So let's, let's stop for just a second with that question in our mind. What did the Lord God do? What did God do? Speak back to me. What are some things that he's done here? He planted a garden. Yep. He made the earth and the heavens. He made man from dust. He breathed life into man. Right? Where did God, then he planted a garden. Where did he place the man? He placed him in the garden. Then what did God make? He made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were what? Beautiful. Beautiful. What was the fruit they produced? Was it okay? Was it like a mealy apple that you've had too long that's dented all over the place? Like I put in my kids' lunches. <laughs> when I'm running late, I'm like, oh, they'll overlook that. No, it was delicious fruit. Delicious fruit. And then he placed man in the middle. So what I'm trying to drive home today is that the Lord God did everything. He did everything. Everything. He did it all. He made man, placed him in the garden, gave, um, took care of the grounds before rain came. He did it all. And then it says that he, when he placed him in the garden, he placed him there with the purpose to tend and watch over it. Now, let me tell you really quickly what the word tend literally means when translated from the Hebrew. It's a Hebrew word, avad, and it means to serve, to work, or to take care of. And so the, the mindset I want you to have when you think of that word tend, when he gave man charge over it and said to tend it, was to serve it, to care for it, to cultivate it. And so it's not a laborious thing, it's a nurturing term to take care of it, to work. So right off the bat, he's giving Adam purpose. Tend to it. Take care of it. And then this is what the Lord God says. First time we see what he says. He says, he warned the man. He said, you can eat freely of the fruit of every tree in the garden. Eat freely of every tree, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. You're sure to die. And we'll talk about what that sure to die really means in a second. Verse 18, then the Lord says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now here's one thing I want us to notice before we move forward. What have we heard from Adam up to this point? Nothing. Have we heard Adam go, oh, I'm lonely. Something's just not right. Do we hear a complaint or an expression of need or lack at all from Adam? No. Do we? No. Now that's important. It's important that you understand and get this because this reflects God's character. So Adam is without want. Adam is not lacking anything in little Adam's mind. Adam is just receiving what God's giving him. He's eating a mango. My favorite fruit is mango. And, and here's what heaven's going to be like is heaven's going to be full of mangoes that I don't have to peel. <laughs> right? But I'm just envisioning Adam just eating, just enjoying it, just looking around, just taking it all in and then caring for it so he's got purpose. And he's not looking up going, <sighs> right? No, no. But watch what God does. Verse 19, it says, So the Lord God formed from the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds of the sky, and then he brought them to Adam, to the man, to see what he would call them. How gracious is the Lord that he would pull Adam into the picture and say, let's do this together. 
I'm going to give you charge. What do you want to name that bird? You want to call it a raven? Call it a raven. My son is really into birds, and he can tell you the name of any bird. It's like freaky how much he knows about animals. He loves animals, but he loves to call them by their name. And he loves for me to ask so that he can be smart. And it says, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. And he gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper that was just right for Adam. Again, have we seen anything come out of Adam's mouth? No. But God is noticing, and it's not like this caught God off guard. He knows Eve is coming. But this is what I love about the tender, uh, gracious heart of God, our Father. Is that while Adam is naming these animals and he's cultivating the land, is this laborious and hard for Adam? No. This may sound redundant, but we need to get this. It's not. It's lovely. It's wonderful. He's got purpose. He's enjoying it. He's loving his life. And then Lord, the Lord God says it's, um, there was no helper just right for him. And so verse 21, it says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, that's important, the Lord God took out one of his ribs and closed the opening. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. First surgery you see right here. First surgery. But was there pain involved? No, there wasn't pain. He's not even aware of it. He goes to sleep. And here's what I love about God too, is he gives Adam no reason for concern. He doesn't say, now, Adam, you're going to go to sleep and, and I'm going to pull a rib out from you and I'm going to make a one. First, that blow his mind. But two, um, and probably had he said that, Adam would have been fine because there's no reason not to trust the Lord. He's in perfect harmony with him. But this is what I love about the Lord is he's going to make a woman from his own rib and Adam's not even going to feel it. In a sense, he's not even aware that it's happened. There's no pain involved. God does it without any struggle. That's important. And then verse 23, well, verse 22 says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to Adam. He brings her to Adam. And look at Adam's response. He says, At last the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. He gets it in that moment. And it says, and this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. At last, that's where Etta James gets that song, right? At last. What I love about that is just when Adam is completely content and enjoying all that God is doing for him, it gets even better. It gets even sweeter. And he's like, at last. Because oh! we are all that. We are all that. We're the crown jewel girls. Verse 25, it says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Felt no shame. Well, Adam doesn't even understand what that word is about. They were naked and they felt no shame. Now you've probably, you might be familiar with this, I don't know. But the word naked, we can all understand quickly that they're physically naked they're physically naked, but they're also emotionally naked, and they're spiritually naked. Now, what does it mean to be naked in this sense? It means to be utterly, totally exposed. Totally exposed. What do we spend most of our energy doing? Making sure that we're never caught off guard and exposed in a way that would embarrass us, right? 
That's why I think, and, you, and you, you might resonate with this, part of why we do this Bible study the way we do this Bible study is because I believe is that God has led us to do this. Why? Because we kind of call it a front porch mentality, is that it's a really easy way instead for all of you to come. And what I have loved so much about it over the course of the last few years is to hear so many of you affirm that without even knowing that was our intent, but have said to me, I have loved coming because I don't, I'm not afraid that I'm going to be asked to pray out loud. I'm not afraid that I have to jump in and, and commit to 10 weeks and have 10 pages of homework. I'm not afraid that I have to sit with these ladies at the same table every week and and I may not connect with them. And see, later, at, you know, th there's a place for all of that. That's part of how we're discipled in the Lord. That's part of how we grow is through the context of community. But it's fearful at first, right? It can be, and why? Because we're afraid of being exposed. We're afraid, well, what if I don't know scripture? And here's, God bless, one year, it was so awesome. One woman brought in a Bible and it was her coffee table Bible. It was like a communion one because that's all she had. And I said, listen, you come, and if you want to bring that, bring it. But you don't even need to bring it because I don't have a back brace for you. But you just come. And here's what I love is that she felt comfortable to do that. And that is our heartbeat. That is our heartbeat. That's why when Sylvia says bring a friend, it's because there are women on your street, in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, at your schools that your kids attend. There are women around you that are dying that need to hear about God's character and his love and his heartbeat for them. Many of you are here today. Well, all of you are here ultimately because you've been invited. And we do it because we want to assure you this is a safe place. This is a safe place because we are so afraid because we live with shame. And I'll talk about that in a minute. And some of you are like, I don't live with shame. Yeah, yeah you do. We all do. We all do. Shame on you for thinking you don't live in shame. <laughs> so he's all excited. It says the man and woman were both naked, but they felt no shame. Okay, here's an acronym that I like to use for shame. And we'll, we'll dig in a little bit deeper in a second, but I want to give this to you so you'll have it in your mind. Shame, self-hatred at my expense. Self-hatred self-hatred at my expense, at my expense. Shame is when you make a mistake and then you believe you are the mistake, right? Shame is an issue with identity. It's an issue of identity. If who you believe that you are is anything less than an adored daughter of, of the king, an adored daughter of God, dearly loved, heavily pursued, followed after, fearfully and wonderfully made, totally accepted, totally forgiven, totally loved, completely cherished. If, if there are other thoughts entering into your mind, which there are, you live in a fallen world because of what we're about to read, then you're experiencing shame at some level. So we all experience it at varying degrees. But it's self-hatred. It's a self-loathing. And what does at my expense mean? At my expense is that I'm the one that pays. 
I'm the one that suffers. I'm the one that because of self-hatred, because of shame, I'm the one that either shrinks back or I grab control. But I'm not living out of the peaceful daughter um, identity that I've been given. And so it's at my expense. Some of you may have wanted to turn around today and thought, I don't know if I've got the right thing on. I don't know if I should even go. Some of you have said no to certain things that God has pressed you in to say yes to, even to Him, because of shame. Because of shame. Self-hatred is my expense. And so we miss out because of shame. So let's review quickly and then we're going to move forward. God made everything, including man. It was all His idea. He made it all. He maintained it all. And what did Adam and Eve do? They received it and enjoyed it. They received it and enjoyed it. And Adam got to have purpose, which, you know, any, if you are married in this room or you have a male person in your life, you know that the biggest thing about a man is a sense of purpose. The question, the insecure question that every man asks is, am I adequate enough? Do I have what it takes? And God, from the beginning, had already met that need. Already met it. Avad, he's tending, he's got purpose. God does it all. And what does it reveal to us about God's heart? I hope that it reveals today to you that he's for you. He's for you. He's for me. He loves us. He's got good things. Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future, which is precisely his intention in the garden from the very beginning. And he says, you can eat freely of any of these trees, but this tree in the middle, from the beginning, God has given us choice. Don't eat from that tree. And so let's jump in. We're in, in Chapter 3 now, verse 1, it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, now I don't have time to go there today, but in Ezekiel, Job, Isaiah, and Revelation, throughout Scripture, we see referenced back that this was Satan disguised as a serpent. Okay? And he says this to the woman. One day he appears and he says this to the woman. Did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. Do you see what he said? Do you see how he twisted it? Did God really say, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? This is the thing that we have to understand. If you are a follower of Christ, if you have put your trust in Christ, you stand opposed and I stand opposed. There is a real thing as the enemy. Satan is a real thing. And so part of his attack on us and part of the way he entered in here is what the thing that's so cunning about him and shrewd about him is he didn't say, you're an idiot for believing that. Now shame will take us to that place. But essentially he doesn't say that. He doesn't come with an opposing thought to the truth that's so clearly black and white. Do you see what I'm saying? He comes with this cunning question. Did God really say? Did he... Did he, did he really say that? So what is he doing by, by asking that question? What are his intentions there? Doubt. doubt. Yeah, it's twofold. One is, is that Eve would doubt God, but also that she would doubt herself. That she would doubt that she heard correctly. Have you ever been there? 
You ever been there? Oh, man. Okay, it, did that really happen? Did I really sit in Bible study and really get a word from God into my life? Did I really get an aha moment? Did scripture, did, was that really for me? Or did I just mishear that? Did God really say that? And then he begins to twist the truth and say, you must not eat of any of the fruit from any of the trees. And why do you think he did that? What's his intention there? He's trying to, to convey a thought that God would be withholding from her, that God is holding out. Oswald Chambers says the root of all sin is the belief that God isn't good, the belief that he isn't good. So we see this at play. Eve responds, and she knows the truth, and she says, of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. So she remembers what God said, and she says, God said you must not eat it or even touch it, or you will die, or you will die. This is what's amazing, is that so much of the time we know the truth. We know the truth. We just don't allow the truth to set us free because there's a second step. And the second step is the verse that we talked about last week, 2 Corinthians 1.20, is that the yes, we understand a lot of what the yeses are. We understand the truth, but we don't say yes back. And a yes back means I'm going to believe it. I'm actually going to believe it. And my belief will translate from intellectual assent or intellectual knowledge to an actual stepping forward in faith and walking the truth out. Had Eve really believed it enough, she would have shut down the conversation right then. When you see Jesus right before his ministry, he's in the desert and he's tempted three times by Satan. And he shuts down the conversation with each question. He shuts it down. And listen, ladies, there's a scripture, and I don't know the actual address right now. I'll find it. But it says, Paul is speaking. He said, we have to capture all of our thoughts. We have to take our thoughts captive and put them under the lordship of, the, of Christ Jesus. That's a paraphrase. But what he's saying is that we have to know and think about what we're thinking about. And so here's what's happening. Is he saying, did God really say that you can't eat any of this fruit? And then she says, no, 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 he didn't say that. He said we could eat freely of any of the fruit except for this fruit. And then she should have walked off and shut it down, but she didn't. She kept engaging in the thought process with him. So the doubt continues to grow because now he's going to hone in on that one forbidden tree. One forbidden tree. And he says in verse 4, you won't die. In other words, you're an idiot for believing that. And God, that's ridiculous. God's lying to you. He's telling you that because he's threatened or something. But you're not going to die. Listen, you can dabble in that and it will not hurt you or hurt your family. Dabble away. <laughs> right? You're not going to die. The serpent replies to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you'll be like God knowing both good and evil. Okay, he's lying to her because they will not be like God. He's promising them something. That, that he can't, he's, he's writing checks he can't cash, if you will. And you see that that's always what sin does. It's disguised and there's something alluring about it. And the reason we're even tempted is because we're dabbling in a lie that God's withholding. Somehow there's a need I have and I'm not going to trust him with it. And so I got to get it met on my own, whether it be through whatever it is. Whether it be my emotions are awry. 
and I've got to calm them down. So I'm going to use this to do it. I'm going to shop. I'm going to drink. I'm going to overeat. I'm going to stay in bed, whatever it is. But I am not going to take that to the Lord because I don't know that he's going to show up there. Did he really say that he's going to meet all of my needs? Did he really say that? Yeah, he did. In um, Philippians 4.19, my question is, am I going to say yes back by believing that? By believing that. And so now we see Eve, and Eve is now, she's on, she's on a slippery slope. A slippery slope, because she's taken one more step toward this lie. And he says, you're not going to die. In fact, you're going to be like God. Who doesn't want to be like God? Knowing good and evil. What is he promising her? What is he promising her by saying you'll be like God, knowing good and evil? What is that? What's laced in that? It's power. You're going to have power. You're going to have power. Don't you want power? Here's the thing. When your eyes are opened, it's almost like you're, you know those, um, those night vision goggles that you can put on and you walk into a room and you see everything that's going on. You see that on TV. Sometimes I think about that when I come into rooms where I'm teaching or um, ministering to a lot of women. And I ask the Lord, Lord, would you just put some goggles on me so I can see what, what just speak to me, Lord. Not some weird thing, y'all, but I'm just saying, just, Lord, what's going on? What are the needs in this room? And he's like, Laura, if you really knew them all, you couldn't handle it. You'd just go to bed. <laughs> Here's why. Here's why. Because when, to eat from the no tree of the knowledge of good and evil is to receive knowledge without the power that God has to be able to handle it. Have you ever felt out, out of control? Have you ever felt like you were powerless to, to um, heal your, your marriage? Have you ever felt powerless to heal your kids? Have you ever felt powerless at work to make something turn around? Have you just ever felt powerless over your own body, your own self, your own temptations? Right. Just watch the news. Watch the debates. Right? It's like, what, what world are we living in and we feel powerless because we're not God? We're not God. But we're privy to things and we don't have... We're, we're not God. We're not God. And so God, in a heartbeat of protection, is saying, don't eat from that. But this is what I love about God, too, is he did not create us to be robots. He created us to be in relationship with him. And so we have, from the beginning, we've always had choice. We've always had a free will. So Satan says to her, you're not going to die God knows your eyes are going to be open. As soon as you eat it, you're going to be like him. And you're going to know both good and evil. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And he's threatened. And so you can't trust him. You need to eat the, the fruit. He's been holding out on you. In verse 6, says, the woman was convinced. You see, it always starts with a suggestion. It always starts with a suggestion. Did God really say that to you? Is what Laura's saying really true? Am I really loved? Did I really hear that correctly? It always starts with the suggestion. And you will be convinced one way or the other. You will be convinced one way or the other. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. The woman was convinced. So she saw the tree was beautiful. Of course it was beautiful. All the trees were beautiful. And its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom. There's a lie. The wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. 
And at that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt what? At what? Their nakedness. Y'all, that's a heartbreaking, that's heartbreaking. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. Their absolute first response was shame. And sin's first response is always shame. It's always shame. At their nakedness, what does that mean? They're exposed. So what did they do? Within their own power, they tried to fix it. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. How itchy do you think fig leaves are? In other words, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now watch what God does. Back again. What does God do? In verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And then what did they do? They hid from the Lord God among the trees. They hid. Y'all, that that's, that's crushing. That's heartbreaking. Has God given them any reason to hide from him? Is there any reason they need to be afraid from him? Did they ever hide before this? No. They were at peace. They were in harmony with one another and with God, and everything was in its right place. And their first response after sin is to hide. Because why? Because shame. Self-hatred at my expense. They think they're protecting themselves by hiding, but it's at their expense because they're cut off from God now. They're hiding from God. How many, every single one of us in this room, I'm answering my own question, hide from God on a regular basis? And the reason is, what we'll see, is we're not certain that we believe the truth about him. We're not sure that he's not really mad at us. We're not really sure that he doesn't believe those things about us that we're telling ourselves. We're not really sure that the experiences that we have had in this broken, fallen world, the wounds that we've encountered, like I talked about last week, those always lead to a concluding belief in our mind. That rejection means I'm unlovable. That divorce means I'm a massive failure. This wayward child means I'm a horrible woman and mother. This insecurity that I have, this addiction that I battle, it means this about me, and therefore, God, you must think this about me. And so we hide from God, just like they did. And this is what I love about the Lord. Watch his heart once again. He's walking in the garden, they're hiding from him, and then he calls to them. Where are you? Where are you? Do you think he didn't know where they were? No, but once again, he's giving them choice. And he's wooing them back. And this is what he's saying to you. Where are you? He's calling you. Where are you? God's love is unconditional. He does not have favorites. And so if you're in this room, he's calling you. Where are you? Where are you? Man's response was to hide. And... Um, in verse 10, he says, Adam is replying, and he says, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid, first time we see fear, because I was naked. God says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, what does he say? <laughs> it was the woman. That woman. 
you gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And what did she say? It was the serpent that deceived me. Nobody's owning anything. I mean, she was deceived by the serpent, but she ate it. And she said, that's why I ate it. Now watch the Lord's response. There's always consequence for sin. There's always consequence. He says, because you've done this, you're cursed. And that's what he means by dying. It means that spiritually you've died a death and there has to be payment for sin to enter back into relationship. And he says, more than all the wild animals, domestic and wild, you crawl on your belly. He's saying this to the serpent, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And he's cursing Satan, the enemy. And then he says to the woman, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and bring your offspring and her offspring between them. He'll strike your head, you'll strike his heel. But this is what I want you to see. Then he says to the woman, I'm going to sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. Now that word is translated labor. I will sharpen the labor of your pregnancy and in pain you're going to give birth and you'll desire to control your husband. Most translations say that you're just going to desire your husband. And for a long time I thought, well, that's a good thing. But that word desire means to control. You're going to desire to control your husband, but he'll rule over you, meaning that he's, the, he's given the place of, of headship in your home. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you, and all your life you will struggle, another word that means labor, to scratch a living from it. And it will grow thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat of its grains by the sweat of your brow. You will have food until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust and to dust you will return. The word um, tend is avad. And so initially Adam's experience with the ground was a sweet one. You're going to take care of it. You're going to nurture it. You're going to serve it. And now it's switched and now it's labor. By the sweat of your brow. How many of us in this room pray for our husbands to be fulfilled in their work? Because we know if that man is fulfilled, our home is peaceful. I pray that every single day for my husband. Every day. Lord, let him thrive where he is. Fill him up. Let it be satisfying. Would you turn his labor into a vibe? Would you turn his work into a sweet tending? It's labor. Labor in our work. You working girls in this room, I have been in a working world like a, a real working world like you are, and it's laborious. It's laborious. How many of you are in a relationship with anyone? With anyone. How many of you have a friendship? <laughs> How many come to Jesus meetings have you had to have in your lifetime? Because how many of these relationships have awakened you in the middle of the night with knots in your stomach because there's conflict? Labor, labor. So labor in work, labor in relationships, and labor in childbirth, in bringing forth life. It is now through laborious, painful process. Praise God for C-sections. I'm a wuss. I didn't even experience one. I never experienced one contraction, and I do feel in some ways that I'm less of a woman because of it. Now that's shame, I'm not gonna own that, I'm not gonna own that. But I don't know real, I mean I know what bad cramps feel like and my friends are like, you don't even have a clue. You don't even have a clue. Labor, labor. And so we also labor in our relationship with the Lord. He has not changed. 
He has not changed. God made all things new in the beginning, and he's making all things new now through Christ Jesus. In Revelation, talks about Jesus sitting on the throne, and he says, Behold, I'm making all things new. So God did not leave Adam and Eve in this pitiful state. And so from the beginning, I don't want to run out of time, so I'm going to cut us short here. But I want to synopse this for us. The reason I wanted to teach this this week is because I want you to see from the beginning the heart of God. And the heart of God toward you, toward creation, was always heaven. It was always heaven. Sin enters into the picture and it's laborious until all things are made new a second time until all things are made new a second time. But the beauty of that is, is that when we walk through this world like a battlefield that it is, we will not come out unscathed. We will suffer wounds at the hand of other people, at the hand of our work, at the health crises that we'll experience. But we do not walk it alone. We do not walk it alone. We still serve the same God that called to Adam and Eve, that is calling us out of the shadows into the light to say, come back to me. Stop hiding. Stop hiding. And so today, our message is twofold in the sense of how did God say yes from the beginning? He created it all. And it was always intended to be for us, for our good and his glory. We get to enjoy it and he gets the glory because we worship him and we realize, I could have never done this. We could have never even thought this up. He's saying, yes, yes. And because of our fear and because sin entered into the picture, now our goal and our charge and our courageous moment is to say, yes, back. This is the God that is true. This is the God that is true. And over the course of the years, I've been onto a God that's not true. And that God is demanding, performance-oriented, conditional, and my courageous step today is just to begin to believe, okay, God, I don't know about all this stuff and my, all these other things that haven't worked themselves out, but this is the one question I'm going to marinate in is, are you, is this true about you? Am I going to believe that to be yes or no? Yes or no? And then next week, we're going to get more specific about his yeses. But in the beginning, you've got to understand the character of the God whom you claim to follow. And for many of us in this room, we're not sure we're following it. We don't know what we're following. That's great. You come and bring those friends that feel the same. This is the place to kick the tires. God says yes. And now by the grace of God, we say yes back to him. You are good and worthy of our trust. Let me pray for us. Father, you know why we're here today. You know what it is you're doing in our world and what you're trying to accomplish in this season in our hearts. And I'm asking that your plans would not be thwarted. And you promise that no weapon formed against us, no tongue raised up in judgment toward us will prosper. And so I'm asking over the course of the next five weeks now, Lord, would you open our minds and our eyes to your truth in ways we've not ever experienced and known before. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.